fan for fan line and blessings to you for checking out today's podcast hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast i hope you're all doing well today's podcast is the twisted history of reparations in the united states the papers were handed out one by one to the elderly recipients most frail, some in wheelchairs. To some, it may have looked like a run-of-the-mill governmental ceremony with a usual federal fanfare. But to Norman Mineta, a California congressman and future Secretary of Transportation, the 1990 event was deeply symbolic. The papers were checks for $20,000 accompanied by a letter of apology for the internment of over 120,000 Japanese Americans during World War II. They were the first issued under the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, a historic law that offered monetary redress to over 80,000 people. Mineta had spearheaded the law fighting for a government apology and financial redress for nearly a decade. As he watched, he flashed back to his own internment during the war, first at a racetrack, then at Heart Mountain War Relocation Center in Wyoming. His family had been forced to leave their home and business behind. Now Mineta felt the government had finally begun the process of reconciliation. The country made a mistake and admitted it was wrong, he says. It offered an apology and a redress payment. To me, the beauty and strength of this country is that it is able to admit wrong and issue redress. Today, the law is remembered as the most successful push for reparations for a historic wrong in U.S. history, but the United States track record of reparations and official apologies is scattershot. And it has yet to tackle one of its most glaring injustices, the enslavement of African Americans. Many argue that slavery in America has legacies that continue to shape society today. Though demands for apologies and financial restitution are not new, Reparations for a state's behavior towards its citizens are relatively modern. The idea of a state apologizing for much less pain for its actions towards its own citizens was almost unthinkable until Nazi Germany orchestrated a large-scale genocide. About six million Jews were murdered during the Holocaust, and for the first time the world grappled with how to make a nation pay for money to atone for a historical injustice. 
there was a sense that Germans had done something very bad and needed to make amends, says historian John Torpy, a professor at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and the author of Making Whole What Has Been Smashed on Reparations Politics. That was the price of admission for a return to the community of civilized nations. Germany has since paid hundreds of millions of dollars to Israel, individual Holocaust survivors, and others. Since then, the United States has followed suit, but though it has paid reparations to some groups, it wronged through unjust treaties, coups, and brutal experiments. Others who still contend with the ramifications of historic injustices continue to wait for compensation. World War II sparked a movement to address one of the United States' historic wrongs, its treatment of Native Americans over centuries of conquest and colonization. Native Americans enlisted in, the, in World War II in disproportionately high numbers. 44,000 or nearly 13% of the entire population of Native Americans at the time served as code talkers who stumped the enemy with their tribal languages and brave service members who fought in the European and Pacific theaters of war. After World War II, momentum to compensate tribes for the unjust seizure of their lands grew. In 1946, Congress created the Indian Claims Commission, a body designed to hear historic grievances and compensate tribes for lost territories. It commissioned extensive historical research and ended up awarding about $1.3 billion to 176 tribes and, and bands. The money was largely, largely given to groups which then distributed the money among their members. For some tribes whose members didn't live on a reservation, notes historian Michael Leader and Jake Page, the money was distributed per capita. And for those who did live on reservations, the money was often earmarked for tribal projects. However, the actual funds only averaged out to about $1,000 per person of Native American ancestry, and most of the money was put in trust accounts held by the United States government, which has been accused of mismanagement over the years. Gambling has had a more positive impact on the quality of life on reservations than did the Indian Claims Commission's Act, Leader and Page Wright. And it took decades for a formal apology tucked inside a defense spending bill. The United States apologized for what it characterized as the many instances of violence, maltreatment, and neglect inflicted on Native peoples by citizens of the United States in 2009. Beginning in 1893, Native Hawaiians' extensive land holdings were taken by the federal government in the wake of its overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii. The loss of lands had actually begun earlier as white businesses flocked to Hawaii in the late 19th century. They bought up huge swaths of land and 
established plantations as low-paid workers flocked to the island. Native Hawaiians began living in crowded cities and dying of diseases for which they had no immunities. As a result, Native Hawaiians nearly died out. In 1920, they were there were an estimated 22,600 Native Hawaiians left, compared to nearly 690,000 in 1778, when Europeans first made contact with the islands. In 1917, lands leased from Native Hawaiians by large sugar and ranching companies began to come up for renewal. John Wise, a Native Hawaiian who was the territory senator, joined with Jonah Kalu, a prince before the United States seized Hawaii, to argue that those lands should be set aside for Native Hawaiians. The Hawaiian Homes Commission Act of 1920 established a land trust for Native Hawaiians and allowed people of one-half Hawaiian ancestry by blood to lease homesteads for the federal government for 99 years at a time for a total of $1. Although the act was seen as helping a declining race, it was sharply limited in its potential for rehabilitating Hawaiians. Most of the land was remote and unfit for development, and it put people who married non-Native Hawaiians at risk for losing their land. Today, those problems persist. Though the Native Hawaiian population has surged, there remains a long waiting list for homestead lands and families that inherit homesteads must prove their 50% Hawaiian descent to keep them. The United States only apologized for its treatment of Native Hawaiians in 1993, a century after the overthrow. <clears throat> and moving along, I'm going to another topic here. In some cases, federal and state governments have made payments to people harmed by brutality. In 17, excuse me, in 1973, for example, the U.S. began an attempt at reconciliation for the Tuskegee experiments, in which 600 black men were unknowingly left untreated for syphilis after being misled by officials who involuntarily enrolled them in a treatment program. The existence of the experiment and its horrifying extent only became clear after Gene Heller, an investigative reporter for the Associated Press, wrote a story on the study and its effects. <clears throat> Excuse me. After a class action lawsuit, the men were awarded $10 million and the United States promised to provide health care and burial services for the men. Eventually, the state ended up awarding healthcare, and other services to the men's spouses and descendants, too. It took decades, though, for a professional, excuse me, a presidential apology for the Tuskegee experiment. In 1997, President Clinton called its victims, hundreds of men betrayed and apologized on behalf of the United States. But financial compensation was cold comfort to more than the study's victims. Decades later, the experiment is correlated with 
increases are in mistrust of the medical establishment, overall mortality and reluctance to see medical providers among black men who face <clears throat> significant health disparities compared to their white counterparts in the United States. No scientific experiment inflicted more damage on the collective psyche of black Americans than the Tuskegee study, writes historian James H. Jones. He cites and states rather than the federal government have led away in financial compensation <clears throat> for most other cases of brutality. Take Florida, where lawmakers passed a bill that paid $2.1 million in reparations to survivors of the Rosewood Massacre, a 1923 incident in which a majority black Florida town was destroyed by racist mobs, or Chicago, which created a $5.5 million reparations fund for survivors of police brutality aimed at black men during the 1970s and 1980s. <clears throat> now, people of Chinese, excuse me, people of Japanese descent reparations for internment during World War II. The Civil, Civil Liberties Act of 1988, Congressman Mineta spearheaded, was a watershed moment for survivors of historical injustices. Though the United States did allow internees to file claims for damages or property loss after World War II, it had never paid reparations. That changed after the bill which apologized for Japanese-American internment and granted $20,000 to every survivor. But despite strong grassroots support at the outset for the bill, notes Mineta, officials were wary of paying survivors. They opposed the bill despite the recommendations of a government-appointed commission that considered testimony from over 750 witnesses and concluding that internment was the result of race prejudice, war hysteria, <clears throat> and a failure of political leadership, not military necessity. So very few people even know knew about the evacuation and internment, says Mineta, when he appealed for action, his fellow lawmakers would ask, this happened over 40 years ago. Why should we keep talking about it? In response, Mineta asked if they would willingly confine themselves behind bars for the duration of World War II for any amount of money. Most people would say absolutely not, he recalls. And after nearly a decade of congressional roadblocks, the bill finally passed. Ronald Reagan agreed to sign the law after being reminded of a wartime speech he had given in recognition of Kazao Masuda, a Japanese-American war hero. So, will the U.S. ever pay reparations for slavery? Despite the success of the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, the United States has yet to tackle reparations for another glaring injustice, which is the enslavement of Americans, excuse me, of Africans from the earliest days of colonization to the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865. 
and the long period of economic inequality and civil rights violations that followed. Though the U.S. apologized for slavery and segregation in 2009, it has never issued redress to the descendants of enslaved people. Never. When it comes to slavery, the United States has proven unwilling to grapple with the enormity of its injustice and of those that followed during Jim Crow segregation and the financial and social inequality faced by black Americans. In a recent Pew Research <clears throat> Center survey, that is, most Americans said that slavery's legacy still affects black Americans to this day, but that understanding has not yet fueled an overwhelming public demand for reparations. The politics of it are incredibly difficult, says Torpy. He predicts calls for reparations for slavery will only gain footing in the wake of a commission similar to the one that helped get the Civil Liberties Act of 1988 off the ground. In June 2019, the House Judiciary Committee her testimony on H.R. 40, a bill that would do just that. <clears throat> During the hearing, author Tanishi Coates pointed to the nation's unjust past and reparations as a way forward. It is impossible to imagine America without the inheritance of slavery, he told lawmakers. The matter of reparations is one of the most is one of making amends and direct redress, but it also questions, but it's also a question of citizenship, excuse me. In HR 40, this body has a chance to both make good on its 2009 apology for enslavement and reject fair weather patriotism. To say that this nation is both its credits and debits, <clears throat> that if Thomas Jefferson matters, so does Sally Hemings. That if D-Day matters, so does Black Wall Street. That if Valley Forge matters, so does Fort Pillow. Because the question really is not whether we'll be tied to something of our past, but whether we are courageous enough to be tied to the whole of them. <clears throat> And quite frankly, with, with the attitudes, with America's attitudes, high prevails, it still may be a while before it's even talked about. Now, yes, it was talked about last year and a little bit this year. But will it ever gain any footing that's the thing. We have to be persistent. We have to keep pounding the door on this situation. Because for some reason, everybody else can get some sort of reparations. But when it comes to black Americans, there's a, there's a silence going on. Turn heads. Mistreatment continues. And that's wrong. That is wrong. And it goes to say that 
whatever a black man has to do, whatever a black man has to achieve, he has to do it that much more than the next person to even to even be let let in the door, to even be talked about, for even a situation to be brought up. The black man has to go that much harder. Here it is, 2020 going into 2021, and still that is a situation, that is an issue that we have to work that much harder to gain equality work that much harder to get some sort of apology, work that much harder to get suitable reparations that were promised to us in 1865 and we never saw the light of day of it. That was promised to us. And then the United States has the audacity to say, what are you complaining about? has the audacity to say, why are you kneeling? You're disrespecting the flag. You're disrespecting America. You continue to disrespect us as black Americans every single day, every year with lies, hate, deceit, and bigotry. Every single day. So I don't want to hear of... of Anything less than that, anything less than an apology, anything less than reasonable reparations. Like I said, we have to keep pounding the pavement on this situation. We can't let this go, people. We cannot let this go. We cannot let this go. I encourage you to keep on pushing this in whatever way, shape, or form Because in ways we all have a platform, and that's social media. We all have a platform now. You can be heard, but we have to do it continually, collectively, and unapologetically. Enough said. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please feel free to comment and share. And if you feel led to give a donation, I gratefully appreciate your support. And I leave you with this word from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Enough said.